Our scripture today is from Paul's letter to the church at Rome. I'm going to be reading from chapter 10, and I'm going to start at verse 13, but it's the second part of the verse. For all have the same Lord, whose boundless resources are available to all to turn to him in faith. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, how can they call on one in whom they have never believed? How can they believe in one of whom they've never heard? And how can they hear unless someone proclaims him? And who will go to tell them unless he, and I'm adding this, or she is sent? As the scripture puts it, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Yet, all who have heard have not responded to the gospel. Isaiah asks, you remember, Lord, who has believed our report? Belief, you see, can only come from hearing the message, and the message is the word of God. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we respond, thanks be to God. Amen. You know, as human beings, we have this tendency to uh, put people and places and things into categories. And that's okay, because it kind of helps us make sense of the world around us. But as human beings, we also define ourselves in various ways. So here's my first question of the day. Uh, Y'all don't know me, but I love to ask questions in sermons. Here's our first question. Who are you? I mean, really, who are you? So here's what I want you to do this week. And yes, I'm assigning you homework. I want you to sum up your entire life in six words. No more, no less. I even brought index cards up here, so when you come forward, you have no excuse. Even if you're not going to do it, pick one up, so that way my feelings won't be hurt. Um, now, I will say, doing this your entire life in six words, uh, it's really hard to do, but it is absolutely necessary, and here's why. See, it forces you. It forces you to look at your life, and even more importantly, to see where you are going and maybe make a couple of course corrections along the way. Now, I did this at one of my previous churches and the answers were so interesting. One of my young guys wrote, son, husband, father, repeat, which was cheating, but really clever. I just thought that was so clever. But the most honest answer came from one of my young moms whose life was full of work and family and responsibilities and running here and running there and being exhausted all the time. And she wrote, I am drowning down here. Help. What an honest answer. So that's your homework. Six words on an index card that defines who you are. But okay, now let's shift gears a little bit. How would someone else define you? That's an interesting question, too. So if, if that's difficult for you to kind of imagine, uh, maybe this will help you. Um, just pretend that you are at a social gathering where you really don't know very many people. We've all been there. And uh, what are those opening conversational questions that we all use in that kind of situation? Well, one of the most common is, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And we answer, I'm a minister. I'm a teacher, I'm a firefighter, I'm a policeman, I'm a museum, a musician, um, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an Indian chief. I threw that one in for fun. Um, another popular conversational gambit is, uh, where are you from, or as we prefer in the South, who are your people? 
And if I had to answer that question, I would say uh, I live in Vestavia Hills, Alabama, but I am a mountain girl from Chattanooga in East Tennessee from a very long line of moonshiners. Now, there are other ways we can define one another. We look at the clothes that people wear, the kind of car that they drive. Thank goodness most of us are too polite to ask someone else how much money they have in the bank. But I'm here to tell you there is one question that people will ask you straight out in the state of Alabama. What football team do you root for? And there are only two options. We know that. It is either Alabama or Auburn. And please notice those were in alphabetical order. I've learned to do that. That's very important. Um, I made the mistake at one of my churches and told one of the guys that I actually didn't like football. And I never watched any of the games on Saturday. And he told me, and I mean, he meant it. He really meant it. This is what he said to me, Pastor Sherry, you are not fit to live in the state of Alabama. I mean, you guys, you take that one seriously. Now, those are some of the ways that other people define us, but I think most of us define ourselves by our relationships. I mean, that just makes sense. We're someone's uh, son or daughter. We're someone's mother or father. We're someone's spouse, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, cousin. Um, best of all, we're someone's grandparent. That's the most fun of all. All of these things define us in one way or the other but most of them do not last a lifetime. Um, I'm the oldest of three daughters, and I still remember my middle sister, LaShawn. I wish you could have known her. She had the sweetest spirit. She would do anything for anybody. She was just amazing. She was an extraordinary artist. She was a creative middle school teacher for 38 years, and she had the worst taste in men in the known universe. I called her a serial monogamist. I mean, golly bum. Uh, she loved those bad boys, I tell you. Uh, I was back home in Chattanooga, and the three of us were sitting around my mom's kitchen table, and just kind of out of the blue, LaShawn said, and I'll never forget how she did it. She said, you know, husbands, they just come and they go, but sisters are forever. I thought that was really funny at the time, uh, but I only wish she'd been right, because like so many of the people I love, she's already crossed over that last river. Scripture says to everything there is a season, and we know that's true, don't we? I mean, there's just this kind of ebb and flow to our eyes, and, and like it or not, very little of life is certain. Family members move away, Jobs go away. Although in Alabama, I'm confident you will never stop rooting for your football team. So many of our life definers disappear, which brings us back to our question, what defines you? Fortunately, Paul has already told us in our scripture passage today, for all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. Now, like it or not, so many things will change in our life because life is temporal. That's just the way it is. God, on the other hand, is eternal, which means being a child of God will never change regardless of the season of our life. But here's the thing. We cannot stay 
children forever. We must grow spiritually and not only be a child of God, but a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now you ask any pastor, and they will tell you one of their favorite things to do is to teach confirmation classes to our students. We consider it one of the most important roles that we have as a minister, and here's why. It's because God has no grandchildren. If we do not teach the faith to our children, our faith could disappear. And that's why we spend so much time and energy teaching our confirmation students about what we believe. In fact, I would argue that every adult in this worship space should go through a confirmation class as well. That's how important it is. I mean, students and adults alike, we need to learn about the Trinity and our sacramental theology and the history of our denomination and the history of our our own church. And of course, we need to know about sin and salvation and and Jesus' call to discipleship. Our students need to know these things because they have to make an informed decision about confirming their faith for themselves. You see, in most Methodist churches, and I see your baptismal font right there, in most Methodist churches, many of our students are baptized as infants. And their parents and the congregation make these sacred uh, promises. They make a covenant to raise those children in the faith. But eventually, those young people, they have to claim Jesus for themselves. Eventually, we all have to claim Jesus for ourselves. And when we do, we become not only a follower of Christ, we become a disciple of Jesus, trying to build his kingdom right here and right now. But I think to get a handle on this this idea of a call to discipleship, we need a good working definition of it. And the best one I ever heard was not found in a theology book, or I didn't hear it in a seminary class. I heard it in a hospital room. I was visiting one of my church folks, and um, he had a chronic disease. The prognosis was not all that good. Uh, And to no surprise, he mentioned that day how much he wanted to get better so he could leave the hospital and get back to his life. And of course, I jumped in and said, oh, I, I bet you can't wait to get home and be with your family. And he said, of course, Pastor Sherry, I, I want to get home and be with my family. That's so important, but I, I got to tell you, I really need, I really need to get back to church. I mean, I can read my Bible in this hospital bed, but I need to be in my Sunday school class with the same people who have known me and grown me in my faith all these years together. Uh, you know, I need to be back in worship so I can hear the word of God read and proclaimed. And most of all, I need to get better so I can get back to helping with the clothes closet and tutoring those third grade boys every single week. Worship, study, service. I told you, best working definition of discipleship I've ever heard. And that is the life of purpose and meaning that God is calling us to. But first, you got to walk through that door of discipleship. Someone once sang, and um, I will not punish you with the sound of my voice. I will read it. Someone once sang, let my love open the door, let my love open the door to your heart. Now, Pete Townsend may have sung it, but that song belongs to God. 
Every single time I give communion to a child, I lean down, I try to get on their eye level, and when I hand them the bread, I say, this bread means that God loves you more than words can ever say. And that is true for every single one of us. No matter how old or how young we might be, we know that because we follow a God of doors. Now, I have a strange, quirky mind, but just stay with me on this one. In my mind, this is kind of sort of how I pictured that it happened. God the Father says to his son, I need you to leave heaven, leave heaven and walk through a door. And that door will take you to a manger and a carpenter's shop. And you will be a fugitive in Egypt as a child because you are and always will be a threat to business as usual. You will become a rabbi, but you will be a rabbi and a teacher like no one has ever seen before. You will eat with the wrong kind of people, and you will make the social and political establishment furious. You will heal those sick in body and sick in soul. And then that door will lead you to a cross where you will suffer and die to forgive the sins of this world. They will put you in a tomb, and that is when death will discover it cannot hold you. And when that stone is rolled away, you will walk through that door. So all of us here can walk through a door as well, a door to a better life, a more abundant life, a life that matters, a life that makes a difference. And isn't that what we all want? But here's the catch. you got to walk through the door. Someone once said there's two kinds of people in this world, those with a closed mindset and those with an open mindset. But let's just call them open door and closed door people this morning. Closed door people, they just know the world is a terrible place. And, you know, they, they've got these fixed amount of gifts and graces and things that they can do, and their entire worth depends upon that. So do you know how closed door people succeed? They never, ever take any chances, ever. And we see plenty of closed-door people in Scripture. David's brother said, nope, 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 no way. Nobody can defeat Goliath. You're crazy if you walk down in that valley, David. Or maybe the ten spies who told Caleb and Joshua that they couldn't defeat their enemies in the Promised Land and they might as well pack up and head back to Egypt so they could be slaves again. Or how about the rich young ruler who was really drawn to the teachings of Jesus But boy, the price was so high. And so he shut the door to discipleship forever. Closed door thinking looks safe, but it's actually the most dangerous because we leave God on the other side of that door when we close it. But there are plenty of open door people in Scripture too. Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. And of course, we have all of the disciples who dropped their nets or left their lives and they just followed Jesus into an uncertain future. But there's also people on the fence, like some of us, who maybe feel unworthy, unprepared, or or just plain afraid. I mean, Father Abraham, he thought he was too old to have a child and, and begin the, uh, a new nation. Moses told God he needed someone who could speak well to liberate his people. But hear the good news of Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can all be changed from closed door to open door people. And that is what God is calling us to do. 
Knowing that you belong to God means that you are loved no matter what. You can take risk and you can try new things. And if you fail, so what? God will have another door for you the very next day. You are always open to what tomorrow might bring because God's already there waiting on you. And that kind of freedom, that is a gift beyond price. And right now, my friends, this world of ours needs um, open more disciples more than ever. My husband, Mike, was reading the newspaper on his iPad a couple of weeks ago, and he looked over and he said, baby, our culture has lost its mind. And I said, honey, this is not a newsflash. I mean, the world is such a hot mess right now. You know, there are wars and disease and suffering and and confusion, division in our country, division in our politics, division in our denomination. There is pain beyond our ability to fully comprehend. And I got to tell you, sometimes you just want to circle the wagons and just lose your hope. But losing hope is the weapon of the adversary the one who always opposes God. We can't lose our hope. We always have hope because we always have Jesus. Bluff Park is an active, vital church with great leadership and a real commitment to the transforming power of Jesus. Now, can your church change the entire world? No, of course not. However, You can change lives one person at a time. And that is exactly what Jesus and his disciples did. And that is why the words we heard from Paul are so important this morning. Listen again. For all have the same Lord whose boundless resources are available to all who turn to him in faith. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We don't need to worry about it, whether we can change the world in the name of Jesus, because God is going to give us boundless resources to make it happen. But if you truly want to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to have to live out these words from Paul. Now, how can they call on one in whom they have never believed? How can they believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how can they hear unless someone proclaims him? And who will go to tell them unless he or she is sent. The world out there is dying. And who's going to tell them and show them Jesus if you don't? And last but never least, belief can only come from hearing the message, and the message is the word of Jesus Christ. And my friends, that is why the world does not need any more Christians. We got plenty of Christians. What the world needs are more disciples who love Jesus enough to tell and show people that there is redemption and forgiveness and mercy and love and as many second chances as you need and a life of meaning and purpose just waiting on them. But of course, for that to happen, well, that all depends on you. Remember your homework? Remember that back at the beginning? Writing who you are, six words on an index card. What if every single one of us 
wrote the same six words on our index cards? What if we all wrote and lived out, I am a disciple of Jesus? We don't have to imagine it. We just have to do it. And when we commit our lives to those six words, we will change this broken world one person at a time. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.